Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode on my Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today on the podcast I am welcoming back Becky from Sensory Spectacle. Becky has kindly given up a bunch of her time to do us a whole series of podcast interviews talking about sensory. So if you haven't listened to last week's yet, I highly recommend heading back listening to that one first before we dive into sensory profiles today. I also wanted to let you know that Becky has been super kind and she is giving all of our listeners 20% off all three of her online training courses. Online training can be found at sensorispectacle.co.uk and head over to the show notes for a direct link and to get your coupon code to save that 20%. This discount code is valid for one whole year, so you have plenty of time to head over and check out those training sessions. She also has free downloads on the website, but head over to the show notes, I'll link all of those there, and let's get started with today's interview all about sensory profiles. Hi Becky, and welcome back to my podcast episode all about sensory profiles today. I'm so excited to have you on here again. Could you give my audience a quick brief introduction to who you are, what sensory spectacle is, and what you're going to be talking about today? Sure. Um, So I'm Becky. I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle. So we educate about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder. And we do that by working with children and adults with sensory processing disorder. And they give us their insights, descriptions, and we then create workshops and immersive training to help people understand their differences, their sensory processing differently. I'm not an occupational therapist. I am self-taught through professional practice, so through previous jobs, um, but also my own general interest. And this topic is really, really important to me because I feel it's massively misunderstood. Definitely. I really do think so. And it was really interesting when you said you're not a qualified occupational therapist, but you've learned so much yourself as well. And I think that there's something special about experiencing it yourself and really having the drive to learn, because I feel like we can just take on so much more when it's something that we're really passionate about. Definitely. So I had seven years professional kind of practice supporting 0 to 19 year olds. And while I was there is when I did a master's. So I did a master's in art and science. And I specifically researched the autistic sensory world because back then, sensory differences were only really recognized within autism. However, now we know there's many other people who have differences in their sensory processing. Yes, and it's such a fascinating subject as well. And if anyone's just a little bit confused about what sensory processing disorder is, Becky actually explained all about that in our last podcast episode, which is all about sensory and behavior. So just head back to there because today we're going to talk about sensory profiles. Yeah. So Becky, would you give a brief introduction about what sensory profiles are? 
So sensory profiles are often a term used within a professional context, mainly maybe a therapist, sometimes in education. However, it's something that we can all do. So it's a document usually um, that explains someone's specific sensory needs. So that might be the things that they like, the things they don't like. Um, it may note down certain observations of their behaviors. So what I refer to as sensory characteristics, the things that that person is doing in order to regulate themselves. Um, and then it may also have down information about how we can then provide support for that student. So it may be that a particular teacher provides movement breaks for a student. And so that will be documented on their sensory profile. I love that. And I think that a sensory profile works really good as a working document so that we can always make changes with it as students change and progress as well. Would you think that is the correct way to sort of use it as that working document? Most definitely. I think it's another one of those things which does constantly change. And like I mentioned in the previous podcast, it may seem like someone's sensory processing is changing, but actually it could just be the fact that we've observed differences in their sensory characteristics so someone may be um, fidgeting with things on their desk and then they may reduce fidgeting with things on their desk and actually then start to fidget with things on their clothes or maybe they start chewing on something and those characteristics can both be for the same reason so we need to make sure that a sensory profile is updated partly so that then when other people read that student sensory profile, they can understand either changes in behaviours or the ability to concentrate on particular work or just knowing how they can support that student. That's really great examples there. And I think one interesting thing is, like you've said, how we can put different people in charge of different areas. Sometimes it's really interesting that people can observe different things to each other as well, whether it's because we're doing different activities. Sometimes we just have a special link with a student and there's nothing wrong with someone having a better link with a student. Sometimes we just click better. So I think it's really great that everyone can work together as a team for the sensory profile and then we can all bring something to the table as well. Definitely. And, and we'll all notice different ways that that student's progressing. And it's so important that we recognise all the achievements, whether that's being able to sit down for five minutes longer than they did the day before, or whether it's that they've tried a new type of food or sat in a different area within the classroom. All of those things are achievements and progression that really needs to be documented. Definitely, because sometimes I think that we're so focused on a big end goal change that we might miss all those little steps that are really worth the achievements as well. Definitely. And for ourselves as the professionals, it's really important that we recognise how we've helped to nurture that to happen, as well as praising the student for what they've um, developed and learnt to be able to do as well. Definitely. And I always say that sometimes the smallest steps, they lead to the biggest achievements. And I think that's one reason why it's so important to have a sensory profile. But do you think there are other reasons why it's really important to have this document for a student or a child? Yeah, so I think other than us just having it to show someone's progress, I think it's really important as well 
for communication. So where I used to work, we use them all the time because if I wasn't in work one day, it could mean that another teacher or another professional could then support that student because they could see the information that I had documented down um, or they could know a way of being able to try and engage with a particular student. It's also really handy if we do start to notice changes in someone's behavior or sensory characteristics. So as someone gets older, as they reach puberty, as hormones change, we may notice that someone's ability to concentrate or to listen in class may be distracted because actually their sensory processing is impacted because of that. Definitely. And I just think like you say, everyone, it's going to be less pressure on everyone because if you are off sick, then everyone can still work with a student, but it's also providing a consistency for that student because the last thing we want is to start something that's working so well with them and then something might happen, we're off sick for three weeks and then nobody knows what we've been doing or how to carry that on with the student. Definitely. And I think if we all try and take responsibility for it, I don't feel that a sensory profile should be completed by a particular person, by a particular member of staff. Anyone that has observed or supported or um, helped that particular student can contribute towards their sensory profile. So it may be they were out in the playground and the person on duty had said, ah, this student was swinging upside down for five minutes or um, were running around interacting and playing with other students. All of those things can actually be really important for us to recognise in that student's profile because it may well then help us understand why in the afternoon they worked more effectively or why they found it harder to focus on work. Definitely, because I know we always feel like we want to do all the things, put it all on ourselves. But like you say, people are going to be viewing different things at different times in different areas. And I do think a lot of times as well, people's personal experience and the training they've been on gives them the ability to look at something differently than we do. So they might see something that we miss. So I think having a team put together that sensory profile and to carry on with that is really important for the child as well. Mm. And then it reduces the likelihood of us then supporting some of these sensory needs as behaviours. And obviously we talked a whole podcast about that before, but making sure that the things that we're observing really are that student's needs and not something which may be distracting you and I from building that relationship to help them to that student to thrive and to do their best. Definitely. And if anyone's listening who hasn't listened to that Sensory and Behaviour podcast episode yet, I would listen to that as well, because I think all of this is going to tie in really nicely together. So my next question is, how is it decided for a student to have a sensory profile created for them? So I, I don't think there's a definite decision as to a certain point when someone needs a sensory profile. Where I used to work, we actually had one set out for all students, um, mainly because we had the understanding that all students, all learners are sensory learners. Um, and so by having that recognition, we could then um, all become confident in being able to 
write things down, contribute to the sensory profile. But also it meant that if there were changes in someone's ability to concentrate, then we would have a document that we could refer back to. So if we were going to professional meetings, for example, um, I that would be my suggestion is whoever you notice has difficulties regulating their senses in the classroom should, will benefit from having a sensory profile. Definitely. And I like how everyone has one where you were working as well. I think that's really important. But would you start with a template to give everyone ideas of things to include? Or would you start from a total blank page? So I would I would start from a template of thinking about what are the, the certain things? So what are those characteristics that your student is doing in the classroom? So it might be that you've observed when they're concentrating doing their work, they're chewing or they're tapping their foot or they rock back on their chair. It might be that they're always speaking really loudly, but maybe they're also covering their ears at the same time. By recognising those sensory characteristics and jotting those down, that's a really big step to begin with. Once you've recognised that, then try and document the things that that student likes and the things that student doesn't like. And often we can misunderstand someone's sensory needs because we think, well, if they like something, that's a sensory need. And that's not necessarily correct. So things that someone may like may be a certain colour or it might be um, a certain food or it might be a certain game or activity. Things that you can look at to maybe use to motivate or to reward that student. And the things they don't like would be essentially warning signs for other other professionals to say, okay, busy assemblies, noisy playgrounds may then overwhelm that student. They don't like it. Um, So they physically remove themselves or they get really upset or emotional about that particular time of day. That's perfect, because I think that would help people as well so much with transition when our students are going to other classrooms, working with new members of staff, having all that data together in one place is really beneficial for that student. Definitely. And then once you've started to document that information, I added on ours um, a box where I would then say this is how I support this student so it might be that while we're listening to something we also have something that we're fidgeting with our hands or maybe before an activity starts we always make something with some dough um, to get our fingers woken up and, and moving but then I like other professionals to add to it as well because it, like you said earlier We all have different relationships with our students and some people may find different ways of being able to engage with a student. And that can then be really effective for their development and their ability to concentrate and regulate themselves. Definitely. I know for us, we used to have this sort of thing where one student really enjoyed 
laughing and playing with one of us and with another member of staff, they just wanted calm activities. And I think that's a great example there, that there was nothing wrong with either relationship. But I think our personalities come into play as well. And our students like to do different things with each of us. And that's why it's great to have a sort of a team sit down and filling in these pieces of data to collect all this information about a sensory profile. Definitely. And just remembering that we're all different people. And so a student may come in one day really tired because they didn't sleep very well. And so then all day find it difficult to do their work or to take part in activities. And regardless of who they're working with, whereas other days they may come in and just absolutely love working with particular people and refuse to work with other people. And It's not about us taking things personally, but we do have to remember that we all have sensory elements to us, which may not always meet our students' needs as well. Definitely. I think that's the thing that I say to people the most is just don't take it personally and be flexible. And those two things, you won't go far wrong if you stick by them. Definitely. And that flexibility is really important. Yes. And I know you spoke how on your sensory profile, you added that box about how you can support that student and everyone was adding different ways. Would this also be an opportunity where people can write down ways that we can help our student to start to self-regulate independently as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think the whole aim really is to recognise how we can support students to self-regulate. So they're constantly going throughout their day self-regulating because the things that they're doing are actually to try and help them feel good and regulated whereas we're then essentially getting in the way because we're trying to give work to do or give a routine to follow or um, strategy something to make for example and so all of those things then throw all these sensory regulation strategies for themselves up in the air Because it might be that all of a sudden the classroom's got really noisy and you've got a student who's really sensitive to sound. And so then they're having to find a way in order to regulate that sound back again. So being able to find ways that different students regulate themselves is then going to help us to understand how we can essentially teach that student to regulate as well. Yes, that's perfect, because I do think that, like you say, we are working towards that self-regulation, because I know a lot of people, we just really want to help. We're doing it from a pace of love, and we want to help them calm down, and we want to help make things better for them. But sometimes when we're doing that too much, they start to rely on us, and obviously we're not always going to be there. No, and and we have to remember that our students are going to become adults, and As we become adults, things change. We may well feel more in control of things because I can decide, you know, when I go shopping or when I do my work. However, routines will always be there. And so I'll always need to know ways that I can reassure myself. For example, when I'm on the bus and the bus then gets really noisy, how can I then support myself? And often it's those strategies that we've taught our students really early on that we then recognise as they're getting older that they're using. Yes, and I think it's so easy for us to forget that our students are going to be grown-up adults before we even know it, especially when they're so young when they may be coming to us. So, like you say, it is really important that we give them those tools to help themselves. 
definitely. And I know that you do actually offer online training so people can find out more about sensory. And I believe you have one about sensory profiles in the classroom. Yeah, that's right. So on um, there's an online training for teachers specifically, and we look specifically at student profiles. So why do we have certain students that fidget or that are distracted or that are noisy or that seem bored? And we can't forget that some students may feel bored. Um, but what is it? What characteristics do we then observe in those students? What does it mean? And I also help you to then know when you've created your sensory profile, the best teaching strategies you can use for that student. So is it visual learning? Is it kinesthetic learning? Is it auditory learning? And if we can find the best teaching style, we're going to find the most effective learning for our student as well. That sounds amazing, that course, because especially if anyone is maybe a little bit wary about making sensory profiles, this sounds like the perfect course because you're literally going to go over everything with them and really talk about the little details that maybe we might overlook in our eagerness to set up a sensory profile ourselves. Definitely. And I think that's the easiest thing to do is to miss some of the most obvious parts of recognising a student's needs. As part of that training, we also um, consider strategies that you can use in the classroom. So how can you then support your students? But also, I just teach you those detective skills. So what do you need in order to really understand your students? Yes, because I think that's something that so many of us just don't have the confidence in. So that sounds perfect for really helping us as staff as well for our own professional development to really get to know and help our students. Yeah. So that is all my questions today. And thank you so much. It was so interesting to hear so much about sensory profiles. If there's one thing you would want anyone listening today to take away from this podcast episode about sensory profiles, what would that be? I think the main thing I'd like people to take home is that anyone can start a sensory profile. So whether it's jotting down some notes on a piece of scrap paper, it doesn't have to look um, really neat and really smart. As long as you're getting down that information that's really going to help to support that student, but also be communication, be information to the other teachers in your classroom as well. Definitely. And I think it's really important, like you say, to work as a team. And I'm going to link all the links that we spoke about today in the show notes so everyone can find that. And I really recommend heading over to your social medias as well, because you share so much helpful information over there, too. Yeah, lots of insights from children and adults with sensory processing disorder, as well as lots of insights from teachers and therapists and parents about how they have learned to understand sensory needs through their own student or child's insights. Definitely. And we are really lucky to have you come on. You're going to be coming on a few more times to talk even more sensory things with us about different activities to try, sensory rooms. So I really recommend heading over and subscribing to that so you can get all things sensory because you are truly an expert. Listen to you makes things make so much more sense. I know I've been busy here taking down notes, trying to 
piece things together that maybe I've overlooked before, but you really explain it in a way that helps you to make real life connections with what you're talking about. Brilliant. I mean, that's that's my aim. I wanted to help my staff understand our students better and know how to support them. But I also wanted them to feel confident explaining it to parents and other professionals they met as well. Definitely. So I'm going to link all of those in the show notes. Head over to Sensory Spectacle and sensoryspectacle.co.uk because there are so many online training courses there. And I believe you do in-person workshops as well. Yeah, that's right. In-person workshops. There's books online, um, various sensory support items on the website, classroom support sacks. There's all sorts. Have a look. But if you can't find anything, just send me an email. I'm more than happy to get in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I am so excited for our future episodes as well to continue to learn all things sensory from you. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Becky, for coming back on the podcast today to talk about sensory profiles. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, I highly recommend it because Becky is going to be coming back on to do four more episodes where she talks about sensory tips and activities to try, creating a sensory room, sensory lifestyle, the importance of sensory play, and I am so excited to share those with you. So hit subscribe and you will be the first to know when those episodes go live. And if you have a spare minute today, I would really appreciate if you could leave us some feedback on this podcast for how helpful you find this with your students or even your children at home. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again soon.